0: You want to look at the Psalm 40 passage, and we're going to get into this today. uh, I've entitled this, How to Get God's Way. Now that's a contrast to how to get my way. And most people are always interested in getting their own way, we're going to look at how to get God's way, um, and how do we get to God's way. Um, Let me go ahead and look at an analogy before we get into this. And I want to get into a question here because I had to do a search on this. You know, it used to be we, in the old days, you had to look everything up, like go down to a library, you'd have a file cabinet with all these little cards, and then you'd look up the certain number to find out the certain book. And sometimes you even had to go through half the book in order to find out the information you needed. Now we hit the button on our phone to ask the question, and it spits it right out. I mean, this is a different day compared to the the old library days. So the incredible increase of knowledge, Daniel talks about that, Daniel chapter 12, um, we have access to information that's just so right at our fingertips now. But uh, I want us to see, uh, so I went a little search the other day and looked into how fast can you go in reverse in a car? Because <laughs> I haven't ever been able to discover, I mean, I, I'm not a good enough backer-upper to find this out. And then I'm always kind of one of those type of people that's real leery. I just don't like backing up fast. Got a friend of mine, tragic family accident because of this very thing. So I'm just a slow backer upper. And uh, until I know the path is clear, I'm even slow at taking off. Uh, and I'm even slow at changing lanes. These guys that change lanes real fast, very scary. Boom, boom, boom. And that's just like your heart just is, starts sinking watching it, you know? But backing up as far as how fast can you go and I guess for some reason in my little non-mechanical brain I thought that you could just go as fast backwards as you can forwards but it's not true you can and uh, so I started looking into it and some of the higher amount of miles per hour you can go backwards is like 35 that's really pushing it and they started explaining this thing that I could not understand about the gear ratio for forward and how the Ratio is so much different when you go backward, and so that's why you can only go so much percentage or so much fraction of speed backwards versus forward, and it didn't make sense other than the fact that you just can't go as fast backwards as you can forward. But um, the reason I'm looking into this is, uh, now I did find out that the electric cars other than that safety feature can go just the same amount of speed backwards as forwards if you take that feature out of there because they don't go through the same gear-shifting system as the fuel-run automobiles and vehicles we have. So that was interesting. So if you're an electric type of guy and you take off that safety feature, you could be running down 45 backwards just as fast as everybody else. But um, the reason I looked into this is because I've got an analogy that I'm going to use throughout the sermon. And I want to see, okay, I don't know if you can see this. This is as big as it gets. But this is your typical gear shifting. You got park, and you got reverse. You got neutral, and you got drive, and you got the extra drive options too. Sometimes it's a D1, D2, D3, or this is your. St- this is not your stick shift. Obviously, this is your standard. Pretty much, most cars are operating this way. Even truck drivers now. I mean, my dad was a truck driver. He had to go through 18 gears with that thing. Now you can just put it in drive and go. So, uh, but no. Park, reverse, neutral, drive. And I want to see this as a spiritual analogy because even though I would say that you know, a vehicle can only go so fast backwards, I would compare reverse to going our own way. I'd compare reverse to going my way. I would compare reverse to my will in this spiritual analogy. So even though a car can, and I would compare drive going God's way, God's will in the analogy. So reverse is my will, drive is God's will, Neutral's in between. And this whole idea of neutral, no will of your own, if we're going to compare this to the will, um, that's a good concept, but the will was not designed to be in neutral. The will is intended by God to be engaged. So you're either going your way or you're going God's way. Now there may be a time to disengage into that neutral mode for getting out of my will, uh, and that's when you move into that neutral state. We'll look at that, too. But the will was not intended to be, as some Bruce Lee guy would say, like water. You know, we are intended to be engaged in terms of our mind, in terms of our will. Eastern religion, they take your will out of gear. God's doesn't do that. Our will is to be engaged, but it's either engaged in my way or in God's way. It's either my will or God's will, and so we want to engage in the right way. So I'm looking at Psalm 40. I'm looking at the words of Jesus, and he said something about his will in relation to God's will. Now we see this later on and practically in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, not my will but thine be done, and he's But we can see the nature of Jesus revealed in Psalm 40, verse 8. This is later revealed in Hebrews chapter 10. This is a prophetic passage about the Lord Jesus regarding His will. So let's look at verse 8. This is the Lord's words. This is Christ's words in the Old Testament. He says, I delight to do thy will. This is Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. I'm only going to look at two two points of this message today. I'm going to look at, first of all, the progress regarding the will of God. Progress, P-R-O-G, progress regarding the will of God, because God intends for us to make progress in doing His will. The ultimate standard of where we land is Jesus. Jesus delighted in the Father's will. And that's the standard we go for. Jesus is our standard for our mind, we, have to, we, we go for the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ, but He's the standard for our thinking as Jesus and as far as having our minds one with His mind. Jesus is the standard of our hearts. We're to be one heart with the Lord Jesus. And Jesus is the standard for the will. We're to have the will of the Lord where we only want the Father's will. So it's a, that's the goal. But I'm going to look at a progress to getting there, to that I delight to do your will. And we uh, have to go through a progress of the work of the Holy Spirit to get toward that place of delighting in the will of God. Second thing we're going to look at is the process. Progress and process. The process of how God gets us there. And we're going to look into a New Testament passage. And that's one of the things that's, uh, they didn't teach me this in expository preaching. They, they, They kind of taught that you were supposed to take it all from one passage, but the Word of God works together. So sometimes you'll see a passage and you'll say, well, it doesn't give me the answer to that. That's why it's all one book. You find the answer sometimes in other passages. So we're going to look at the process from another passage. But there is indeed a divine uh, process in getting us to the place of wanting what God wants. Being fully engaged in the direction of his will. When it comes to self-will, self-will doesn't require any learning. When it comes to self-will, you don't have to have a manual on it. You don't have to have a book of instructions. We really don't have to learn the how-tos of getting our own way. It's very, very natural. From the time we're itty-bitty, we go through a plethora of taxes, tactics and attempting to get our own way. Watch it with children. It's amazing. It's uh, amazing. In fact, if this message were titled "How to Get My Own Way," we wouldn't even have to take any time for instruction. Uh, just let the old flesh run its course, and instinctively, uh, get in our own way, wanting to get our own way, would come very natural. But uh, you watch this. I had a child uh, walk through a little Walmart section. He was, ne- I mean, he was barely three years old. And I think we kind of knew we just didn't ask for anything you wanted when you walked through a store. It's a little bit harder with a girl for some reason. <laughs> but she wants it. I'm like, oh, okay. But the girls are different than the boys, right? But for the most part, now she's got to learn, too. She can't always have it. or We're in trouble, right? But the boys would, uh, one boy would take the uh, Walmart toys, and he'd take two. This is the little bitty guy. And he'd hold up two with both hands. You say, which one do you want, Daddy? This one or this one? <laughs> and I'm, I'm a frugal kind of guy, you know. You don't just spend money out of, you know, if I was one of those, oh, well, I kind of like the first one better. It's red instead of blue. You know, I, so I was just like, okay, I'm not going to fall for that. I mean, you know, trying to take my old, your old man for 20 bucks, you know. But you walk through that Walmart, he's got his diplomacy. Now, getting my way sometimes can be crafted with diplomacy, being diplomatic about it. I mean, that's better than a salesman that calls you up, you know? They don't even give you two choices oftentimes. They just throw out some big cruise thing you can go on for such a low price now. And nobody wants to get on a cruise ship with COVID now, you know? So they're giving you these low prices, and they offer you these great deals. But diplomacy, getting my way, uh, another way that we do it as a kid is this... uh, Maybe it's kind of like a temper tantrum, just throw a fit. <laughs> One time at another Walmart, my nephew did this to me. We were in a toy section. I did tell him in this case I would get him a small toy. And we we went to get a toy and he starts wanting this incredible toy that I couldn't afford. And I think he was used to being able to play mom and dad against each other, and it was just really good. He was good at it, but he he but his ultimate thing if he went through all the different steps to getting his way if the last the final one was the temper tantrum and he knew that he could embarrass me or try to embarrass me in the walmart so he throws a fit and he starts screaming he's ready to start falling on the floor you know and i picked him up and i got my i whispered in his ear and i said if you don't stop i'm gonna take you into that bathroom and beat your bottom okay so that's like and then all of a sudden he's like He wasn't expecting that, right? Nobody ever called his bluff. And then he calms down and he'll take the little toy, right? He's not going to take the big toy. Temper tantrum. Okay, now I know that's not the normal thing. You're not proud of doing that, but you have to, you know, there's temper tantrum. But see, what I've noticed about us as kids is sometimes we don't get the lesson, so we take this into adulthood. So we still try to get our way, but we use it a lot more tactfully, a lot more skillfully, in our adulthood, but the the primary problem is still there. It's self-will. We want our way. And that's the reason why God always strived with mankind, because God had to deal with the people who had this thing about wanting their way so bad, and there's no peace when our will is in collision with God's will. That's the whole problem of the Tower of Babel. That's why confusion came. It was a group of people who corporately, by the way, unity is a good thing if your unity is related to God. Right? You want to be unified with God. But a unity would just to be, you know, go along to get along. That's, that's the Tower of Babel. They all got together. They had one speech, one language. They were all unified. But they weren't unified with God. They're unified with each other. So unity can only go so far. Unity starts vertically with God. Unity horizontally, it don't do no good. Because if it displeases God, it doesn't matter what you're unified about. So they're all unified, and they had one will, but they had one self-will together. And that's kind of dangerous, very dangerous. So you get into all these different aspects of the will. There's park, there's, re- there's in reverse, there's neutral, there's drive. I want to talk about the whole idea of getting to God's way, into that drive position of, of going forward with God. Uh, the Bible actually refers to the nature of self-will in that reverse mode I've talked about as iniquity. Iniquity, while sin involves the fruit of our own corrupt sinful hearts, iniquity deals with the root. It's more the root of the the problem is that the fact that we want our way. The reason sin is uh, the reason we sin is because of our rebellious nature of iniquity and wanting our way. Isaiah fifty three six describes it this way, and I believe this is one of the beautiful practical applications of how we see iniquity really revealed. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every man to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See the connection between going our way versus iniquity? The Lord has laid on him all of our iniquities. So we're all like sheep, We've all gone astray. We've turned every man to his own way. And that iniquity was all that iniquity, all that self-will stuff, all that desire to go our own way was laid on the Lord Jesus Christ. So iniquities, and by the way, in Scripture are related to lawlessness. That is, we disregard the law, set up our own laws, we start living by, and that's a different kind of thing altogether. Uh, You can start feeling good about yourself when you have your own laws, your own laws you live by. Uh, it makes you feel righteous. You do these certain things, and that's iniquity because it seems like we can feel righteous about ourselves. But if it's our own will, not God's will, it's iniquity. Uh, stubbornly uh, doing our own things. Stubbornness is also connected to iniquity. Uh, stubbornly not keeping the law. Um, you have transgressing that sin. Just you know, crossing the line. But iniquity is kind of like just ignoring the line altogether. I'll come up with my own line. Iniquity is basically my own lines, my own rules. Two major components of iniquity to keep in mind. Number one is it denies God himself because you recreate a God in your own image. That's where iniquity has a connection to idolatry. That's why when you get to Exodus 20 20 verse 5 and he starts talking about the graven image issue, he says, don't make yourselves any graven images. Don't bow yourself down to these things. And he says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity. So there's a connection between the perversion of setting up crafted idols and iniquity. Because perversion and iniquity goes hand in hand. Idolatry and iniquity goes hand in hand. They both work together because there's two aspects of iniquity. It recreates a God in your own image. It perverts God, but it also recreates or redefines His Word. And we see that going around all around society today. People are redefining God, And people are redefining his word. They're coming up with their own word. They're coming up with their own conclusions. They're coming up with their own righteousness. They're coming up with, well, and it goes back to Genesis chapter 3. Did did God say? It's, It's questioning and reinterpreting and reapplying and redefining the word of God. And when you get a different word, you're going to have a different God. You can't know the word, the written word. You can't know the living word if you don't know the written word. But if you redefine the written word, you're not going to know the living word. You're not going to know the Lord. So iniquity is when we redefine God's word and we redefine his person. And we have all these different ways that we get our, try to get our own way. Um, it's diplomacy. It can sometimes be self-pity. i got another child. <laughs> He's the cutest thing in the world. When he doesn't want his way, he just kind of starts start burying his head down. I'm like, why? That one's a little harder than the, which one do you want, this one or this one? But I'm like, just stop doing that, you know? But they, they want their own way, so they got all these different ways of trying to get their own way. Um, it's a biblical fact that we're all, we've all inherited a nature of iniquity. It's a biblical fact that each and every human father passes down this plaguing problem of iniquity up to two to three generations. That's Exodus 25. And the only way to not be plagued with the self-will problem of iniquity is to not have a human heritage. (laughs) Okay, you just got it. It comes with Adam. It's innately derived from Adam. Uh, he He was the father of iniquity. And then we... His sons, he said, well, you know, Cain, Abel, Abel, he wasn't as bad as Cain. No, he had his, Abel had his iniquity. That's why he's making a sacrifice. Seth had his iniquity. It's just that Cain didn't deal with his iniquity the same way. It's that we have to deal with it the right way. So, but it's a biblical fact. We all have it. And the only one who ever lived exempt from this problem of iniquity was the son of God. Because his bloodline was different than the sons of Adam. If you will, Jesus' bloodline was the only one that was stubborn free. That's why Jesus had such an amazing relationship to the Father. It didn't mean he didn't have his will, but he was stubborn free. And that's why some of us can't really have that oneness in our marriage because as long as that iniquity stuff is going on, that stubborn stuff is going on, If you have to live near with someone who always has to have their way, you cannot have really any deep level of intimacy with that type of person. And that's why there was perfect intimacy between the Father and the Son because His will was engaged 100% with the Father's will. He didn't do His own thing. He didn't want His own thing. Something about this. His bloodline was stubborn-free. Jesus' bloodline was self-will-free. Jesus' bloodline was iniquity free. And the passage we're looking at here is this words of Jesus, I delight to do thy will. Your law is in my heart. Psalm 40, verse 8. Again, there's two things I want us to see. I delight to do thy will. There is a progress regarding the will of God. This is getting to the place of the Son where God's will becomes a delight. And then we'll see the process, the process regarding how God changes us to become one with his will. But this is when God uh, takes us from self-will, iniquity towards his will, and that's obedience. But I want us to see that Jesus' will, being one with the Father, was described as a delight. We must realize there are phases. I'm going to get into five specifically phases in this progress toward the final place of God's will becoming a delight. For Jesus because he had no iniquity, he always operated in a perfect state of being one with God and delighting in the Father's will. So here's the first step. First, if you will phase in terms of our will. And I'm going to use 5D words. The first one is a and this is all under the first point of the sermon, a progress regarding the will of God. First point is progress, second point is a is a process regarding the will of God. So if you want us if you want an outline First point is a progress regarding the will of God, a progress. And there is the goal of getting to the "I delight to do your will." The progress. The will of God involves a divine progression as God takes us toward His will becoming a delight. We go from the will of God being, and here's the five Ds, a death. It's a dead thing. The will of God, if we start off, we're just dead to the will of God. It's a death. Two. Uh, sometimes, a drudgery. The will of God can be a drudgery. Number three, the will of God can be a discipline, and you can even add to that a duty. That's the third thing. Go from a death to a drudgery to a discipline. Fourth, the will of God can be a devotion. It can become a devotion. And then fifth and finally is the Lord's divine grace in time starts working in such a way where it makes the will of His will an absolute delight. And that's the goal. That's where we want to go. That's where we want to get to, is the will of God is to be a delight. Let's start with the first one. The, the, the lost, Number one, the lost stage of death. The lost stage of death. I say the lost stage because the lost person is dead to the will of God. If you're an unbeliever, if you've not been saved, if you've not been born again, you're going to be dead to the will of God. You have no desire for the will of God. Regarding the first stage of death, the, the reason the will of God would be a death is related to the fact that a lost person without the Spirit of God is dead regarding everything to do with God, including His will. So you say to a lost man, do you want to go witness? Well, obviously let's witness to you first, but no, I don't want to go witness. He doesn't have any desire for the things of the will of God because he's dead to God altogether, especially his will. It would be something, it's not like you can say, well, on the taste bud palate, it's not necessarily sweet for the lost person. It's not, maybe it's sour. No, it's not even sour. To the lost man, the will of God is, has no flavor. There's no taste. Their taste buds are spiritually dead to the will of God. So his taste buds are dead to any kind of flavor regarding the will of God because he's altogether dead. That's why we're told, and you who are dead in sins and trespasses, right? He's quickened. That's what happens when you're born again. You're made alive in Christ. The lost stage of death is the first stage. That's where all of us are at at without Christ. Number two, the bitter stage of drudgery. Now I'm going to move through the palate here. I'm going to move through the tongue here. The bitter stage of drudgery. Now this isn't for all the time, but regarding the second stage of drudgery, this would be the case of the believer who's not going forward toward God, but in reverse. That is the backslidden believer has tasted God's forgiveness, but because they've stopped moving toward God, their will entails a bitter taste. For the backslider, the will of God is a drudgery. If you're not going forward toward God and you're going in reverse as a backslider, the will of God is going to be a drudgery. You're not going to have any desire to be in the word of God. It convicts you too much. You're not going to have a desire to delight in proclaiming this book because a person who loses their love for proclaiming the word of God is a backslider because it's part of the spiritual nature. You can't be in a backslidden condition and enjoy the will of God. So that's the nature of drudgery, is the bitter stage of drudgery is related to the backslider. Now, number three, this is a progress. God starts working He starts moving. He starts doing things in our lives. But this would be called, number three, the bland stage of discipline. The bland stage of duty. Regarding the third stage of discipline or duty for the young Christian who still deals with areas of immaturity, carnality, the flesh, the will of God is more bland. But it's bearable because you have the Spirit of God helping you out. It's it's, it's, Part of, you know, like a young Christian has to go through a stage where the things of God in relation to His will are bland. They don't, they don't appeal to you as much. Don't stop going forward though, if, even if it's slow, even if it's not sweet, even if it's not even salty, but it's just kind of bland. Don't stop going forward because in time God will change that palate. It's not God who's the problem. He's not a problem at all. It's, who, it's we who are the problem. God has to change us. So that bland stage of discipline, regarding the third stage of discipline for the young Christian who still deals with areas of immaturity and carnality, God's will is more bland. The reason for the bland flavor is they are still being weaned from their past appetite of iniquity and always living to have their own way. Look, if you come into Christ, you remember old Peter? Peter said, before you came to me, uh, when you were young, you used to walk your way, you used to dress yourself the way you wanted to dress yourself, go where you wanted to go. There's three things there. Go where you want to go, dress how you want to dress, do what you want to do. This, this is the nature of the person before Christ. When you're old and I've changed you, you're going to start doing it different. You're going to take it. Somebody else is going to take you where you don't want to go. And you're, that's referring to his old flesh, Right? you going to hang upside down on a cross for His Lord. But nonetheless, if the principle is, is that you have to realize that there's a stage where when you first come to Christ, there's a bland dynamic to the will of God. It's not palatable. It's not tasty. It doesn't appeal to you. So that's just the nature of how it works. In our past, eating and drinking and whatever we did, it was for the gratification of self instead of the glory of God. It wasn't for the glory of God when we were lost. It was for self-gratification. Whether we ate or drank or whatever we did was for our own gratification. I like it. Like Samson. I like that girl. She pleases me well. That's, the, that's, that's the, like the old flesh speaking. The reason for the bland flavor is we're still being weaned from that past appetite of iniquity. Yet because that inward compelling of God's life inside of our lives, He He enables us to keep going forward through the bland. And it's like a spiritually detoxing process. I didn't know how much I had the world in me until I went away and served in ministry. Your weekends aren't... I would always hit a low on my weekend. My weekends were like... Hmm. Because I was used to feeding my flesh on the weekend. You work all week to play. So weekends were always low points because my, my highs were built on feeding my flesh. But when you start coming out of the world or you start coming out of the flesh or even start coming out of the paw of the old devil, there's a detoxing process because you're redeveloping your appetite for the things of the Lord. And that bland stage is a cross you have to bear. That detoxification can be a real battle because bearing the cross, it involves a cross. And then that bearing of the cross is that redeveloping of the appetite for the things of God. By the way, one of the most beneficial things you can do during a time of being weaned off the past diet of iniquity, where you always got your own way, did your own thing, is fasting. Isaiah 53 says, It's not this the fast that I've chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burden, to let the oppressed go free, and to break... Not some, not most, every yoke. So every yoke from your past can be broken through God's chosen fast. Not when we initiate, but when God says fast. And he leads you, and he starts breaking you and detoxing you from all that stuff from the past. Fasting gives time and opportunity for your spiritual taste buds to heal, redevelop their taste for the good things, specifically the will of God. And at this stage, for the believer who is spiritually immature, they will find the will of God to be a discipline based on more duties. There's commitments more involved at this stage. It's like at that stage, you sometimes have to take your hands and your feet and tie them to the four horns of the altar and let the fire burn. And those commitments and those disciplines and those duties are intended to keep you from getting up whenever your flesh wants to crawl right off that altar. That's the stage. It's the bland stage of discipline. At this stage, for the believer who's spiritually immature, they will find the will of God to be a discipline based on duties, based on commitments, based on various disciplines like fasting, which are good things. This stage, and that doesn't mean you don't fast later on either, this stage does indeed involve a sober season of being spiritually stretched. While God's will, God's will being is bearable, it is indeed a season of being bland. By the way, let me also say, uh, you have a part in this process. You don't have to stay in this season so, so, so long, and neither do I. If you're going to come out of the bondage of the cycle of iniquity, you have a part in this. You can spend, it's how you spend your time. It's how you spend your priorities. It's what you engage your mind with. It's all of these things can play a part in coming out of living a life of your own will versus developing an appetite for the will of God. And we can get into some of that when we get into the process. But as we take small measures of obedience, even small measures and how we spend time with Him and how we use our time and what we give our minds to and our ears to and how how we we will come out of that cycle of iniquity into more fervent love for God. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many waxes cold. Because that's why it's not God who's the problem, it's our love problem. It's a problem with our love. And God has to change our heart. God has to change our will. But as He changes, we start loving Him. That self-love starts dropping off. You start shredding the self-love, and we start desiring the will of God. And so, progressively, he, you start wanting what He wants. You begin enduring the bland and giving, and even enduring sour seasons. And that's part of the progression. Now, number four. This is the salty stage of devotion. We're not quite there at I Delight to Do Your Will, but we are at the salty stage of devotion. Regarding the fourth stage of devotion for the Christian, in time, God's will becomes flavorful. Like salt to the spiritual palate, it becomes flavorful. At this stage, the word and prayer may not be like honey, but it's something that does appeal to your growing soul. And for the growing Christian... The growing Christian who's becoming mature, the will of God is a stage of devotion. It's a stage of it being palatable, salty, if you will. You're getting back a little bit deeper into the tongue. It's, getting, it's, not, it's not God that's the problem. No, He's perfect. It's we who are the problem, but He's changing us. And that's when you get in that devotion stage where the growing Christian, the will of God, does go from a need to to a start wanting to do this. It involves devotion. You like it. Now you're not going to look like, oh yeah, this is the greatest thing in the world, but now we're getting to number five. This would be the sweet stage. The sweet stage of delight. And there's different areas of the will of God that we grow toward a sweet aspect of the will of God. So regarding the fifth stage of delight, for the Christ-like believer. See, again, the stages is where we are. It's where we are. That's why at different stages, you can have different people come into you after a sermon and say, I got this. And the other person says, I got that, because they're all different stages. That's the way the work of the Spirit takes place. But the sweet stage of delight, regarding this fifth and final place, the sweet stage of delight. Folks, there is a rest for the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest has ceased from his own works as God did from his. You 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 don't fight anymore. You don't fight. I just took my kids fishing this week watching that worm wiggle as it goes into that that little hook, right? But the sweet stays of delight. And that's to the Christ-like believer. The growing believer is salty, but the Christ-like believer, it becomes sweet. The will of God has become sweet from being broken like their shepherd. The contrite sheep can say with the hymn writer, whatever, 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 my lot, Thou has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And because they've allowed a constant breaking from getting their own way and even wanting their own way, they've been broken of that. Like their Lord, they can say of their relationship to God, I delight to do thy will. Your law is within my heart. Your law is within my heart. And we can see that this is possible on this side of eternity, even with our old, ugly, disgusting flesh that we have to deal with every single day. The will of God can become a delight, I promise you, based on the authority of the Word of God. Now, number two, and that's the progress. Now we're looking at the process, a process regarding the will of God. And this, what I'm going to say, I'm going to give you three points to this. I'm going to use this analogy that I started off with that the the, the little gear shift thing, so you can kind of get a picture of this. But let's go to James chapter four, and we're going to eventually land in James four. And I want us to see this this process of the will of God. Now James is speaking to a person in James four one. He's speaking to a person who's been trying to get their way, and they haven't been getting. They haven't been going well for him. And he's going to give some characteristics of a person who has lusted that his self-desire has been the key component to what makes them tick and he's going to show them the marks, the fruit of what happens when you live according to self-will. So there's a process. But the first thing God does is he allows you to reap or even feel the consequences of reverse. (laughs) You go in reverse long enough and you're going to hit more than a trash can. You may hit a few trees. May take out things that could damage you all, damage things up really bad. And so what happens is when you're in self will it's like going to reverse is dangerous. You have to taste the fruit of self-rule, is often what God does. He allows you to have self-rule. He allows you to taste the effects of self-rule. It could be, again, likened to experience of that damage that you do uh, when you're all moving backwards instead of forward. Uh, More often than not, the process of getting to the place of God will typically begin after we've had a good dose of tasting the fruit of doing our own will. It's just the way God has to show it to us. Um, Didn't work out very good, did it, son? Remember when I was in a... Big, uh, big old greenhouse truck, I had to go apologize to the owner of the greenhouse place because me and my friend took the greenhouse truck for a joyride in the back of the neighborhood and we went a little bit too fast in reverse and smashed it into a telephone pole. Had to go tell John Crisp. There was a dent in there. They thought that his Mexican guys did it, you know, that worked for him. And they probably got the blame for a little while until I fessed up. Wasn't your workers that did that, it was me. Being a fool. You go in reverse way too fast. Shouldn't even have gotten the vehicle to begin with. But my point I'm trying to make is this is is the nature of iniquity. We go in reverse rather than forward. More often than not, that process, getting to God's place of His will, it has to happen after some pain of going backwards. In small measures sometimes, in greater measures, we all have our Ishmaels, the things we birthed after the flesh. My Ishmael is that dumb dog that we have. I know that I shouldn't have bought that dog. I knew when I bought that dog it was going to be my Ishmael, and now to this day, uh, yes, that's the Mish- that's an Ishmael. And what's happened now is that Ishmael brought in uh, her name is Molly. She brought in a lot of fleas, and we're just itching all the time. And we're trying to get them fleas. We had to kill the fleas inside of her first, and now we're gonna have to kill the fleas inside the house. The vet said, oh, you know, just give her a chime. She'll be like a vacuum cleaner to your house because they'll just keep jumping on her and dying off as this pill does its effect. I said, that's fine, but I'd like to get quicker relief in 12 weeks. And then the other night, I was lying there with Heather and the baby Julia was sitting between us. and She's so smart. She's not like the boys. She gets things. <laughs> and uh, they're smart in other ways, but she's smart in really detailed type ways. So I'm sitting there talking to Heather. And I'm saying... Heather's uh, speaking to me in code language because she's almost four now. And she starts spelling to me saying, do you think we should G-E-T-R-I-D of the D-O-G? Should we get rid of the dog? She's spelling out. And I'm saying, well, you know, if we, and then all of a sudden Julia says, I know what you're saying. (laughs) And I said, how does she know this? And I said, well, I don't know if we should get rid of her. And then she caught that. and She's like, I don't want to get rid of the dog. (laughs) I like the dog. That's my Ishmael. I have to bear it now, okay? My point is, is the consequences are reversed, right, when we do what we want. More often than not, we got to feel it. Uh, when at last we've tasted the corrupt fruit of our own iniquity, and I'm teasing about the dog, but it's a real thing, but, um, but we taste the fruit of our iniquity. It reaps this awful sense of regret. And then like Sarah, when something after the flesh is conceived, we cry that bitter cry saying, My wrong be upon thee. I should have never done this. James tells us that every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And he's enticed to do what? He's enticed to fulfill the desires of his own self-will. Then, when such desires conceives, it brings forth sin, and sin when it's finished, it brings forth death. Before God allows us to engage in the dry position toward his will, he often allows us to experience the wreckage of going in reverse in the wrong direction of our own will. Like Peter, we can go in the opposite direction of God's call upon our life. Say, I go a fishing, you're out there all night long, and you caught nothing. And you gotta hear that that question that's nothing but a rebuke saying, Do you have anything? Do you have any meat? You've been out there doing your own will, but you're not following your calling of feeding the sheep. And that's what the call was. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. But he's like, no, feed myself, feed myself, feed myself fish. And he's saying, do you have anything to show for it? Do you have any meat? And he has to answer a resounding no, meaning absolutely nothing. In other words, the fruit of iniquity is zero. That's what the scripture says. Iniquity reaps vanity. A big fat zero is all we can confess when God asks, what is the fruit of going your own way? Did not Solomon give us an invaluable lesson at his own expense that every component of self-seeking under the sun reaps vanity of vanity, saith the preacher. All is vanity. It's the fruit of going your own way. Whatever it is under the sun, whether you take the entertainment own way, whether you take having apes and peacocks and all these animals your own way and amassing things, all aspects of self-will lead to vanity and its emptiness, utter emptiness. And God has to speak and ask, what do you have to show for? And we see this all throughout the scriptures. That's why we're told in Proverbs 22, 8, debt. Iniquity reaps vanity. The rod of anger always fails. That is when the flesh takes it up, tries to make it happen, and never works. Before we can make the transition toward the will of God, we often have to taste the fruit of our own way. James describes four marks of going down the path of iniquity where we get fixated on our own way rather than pursuing the will of God. So let's look at James chapter 4, verses 1. From whence comes wars and fightings among you, come they not hence even of the lusts at wars in your members? Now, verses 2 and 3 gets into the marks of going your own way, getting what you want. It can be anything. But when it was what you wanted rather than what God wanted, there's always a price to pay. Number one, and here's the first thing that happens, wanting your way through selfishness is the first mark. You wanted your way through selfishness, and this is what verse 2 talks about. You lust and have not. You lusted and you have not. Okay, so that's the first step is wanting your own way through selfishness. This involves not experiencing the reward of what you anticipated. It didn't give me what I thought it was going to give me. It didn't reap the results that I anticipated, that I had anticipated. Those. Let me just say this. We can be our own worst enemies. The people with so much self-desire become their own worst enemies. You just want, 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 and you can... There's this kid we used to know and uh, used to have, and he just called me recently. His name was Benton, and, and Benton, of course, there's plenty of Bentons out there, I'm sure. <laughs> but anyway, Benton, I'm trying to keep, keep his uh, identity covered. No, but nonetheless, Benton had this thing where he always, and I teased him about it last time he talked to me on the phone, just some of the conversation. And he said uh, he used to always convince himself he was going home that weekend. And he'd tell everybody on the mountain, I'm going home this weekend. And he's just his own worst enemy. He'd tell his leaders, I'm going home this weekend. He just got in his mind. He's going to convince himself he's going home. And he'd tell the next day, I'm going home this weekend. And then he'd come down to the mountain to go to staff House and going home this weekend. And I had a light kind of smile and I'd say, Yeah, you're about to find out. And he'd tell dad, I'm going home this weekend. And he says, No, you're not. You go right up there to that cabin. You're not going home. I don't know where you got that from. He'd cry all the way up the cabin. He's his own worst enemy because it was what he wanted. And that's the problem is we start wanting what we want and we become our own worst enemies. Self will leads to self defrauding. We defraud ourselves with all this stuff. Like Balaam, we can set off in the exact opposite direction of the will of God and doing so can greatly grieve the Lord and be a means of pending peril. The path of iniquity is a path that is very dangerous, especially if God has already imparted revelation of what he wants. God had already told Balaam which way he's supposed to go. Don't go until I tell you. He went before God told him, and so that's why God was upset. So he's going his own way. This is iniqu- This is the path of iniquity. But this is the first mark. It's wanting your way because of a selfish desire. Second thing he says, you lust and have not. Second thing, number two, second mark, is still wanting your way by working harder. So what do you do? Rather than getting the wisdom of God that it doesn't work, you amp it up another notch. You still want your way by working even harder. And that's what we're told in verse to the second part it says after you lust and have not you kill that is you make these sacrifices and desire to have and cannot obtain the second point is you still want your way by working harder you kill you desire to have and you do not attain. this involves still not obtaining what you anticipated after even making more sacrifice again like balaam we can double down on going in the wrong path in direct opposition to the will of god such toil may even involve the rod of anger, attempting to beat the very servants who have been so faithful to us. Remember the old donkey? He don't even recognize the donkey speaking. He's too angry to even catch it. That's anger. Last time my dog started speaking, I, that didn't ever happen, but boy, it'd be hard to miss that one. Scare the fool out of me. I'd be going, I'd be checking into a you know, the psychiatrist after that. Number three, this is the next thing that happens. Looking to get your way through others rather than God. So, you know, okay, I hadn't been able to do it this way. I hadn't been able to do it another by amping it up in the notch. I'll work through someone else. Whether it's as an opposer or whether it's on their side, you start trying to work and manipulate through others. And this is what we're told in the end of verse two. You fight and war. You fight in war. It's working through others. You're fighting and warring with others now, yet you have not because you ask not. So you're looking to have your own way and still get your own way through others rather than looking to God. And that specific way you look to God is praying. So you fight in war, yet you have not because you ask not. This can lead to strife involving feudling and battling with, battling with others, looking to others and even working through others in but a carnal is is but a carnal substitute for prayer. When you start looking to others, working through others, it's a carnal substitute for prayer. Remember old Joseph sitting in that prison, and after he interpreted that dream, he said to that man, remember me. Talk to Pharaoh, put in a good word for me with Pharaoh. God never even remembered him. Now he didn't have to say that. God still would have remembered him because he did a favor for the guy. He saved his life, right? Or he at least gave him the interpretation and told him not to worry, and his life was spared. Okay, so He wouldn't have had to say, put in a good word for me, the Pharaoh. It still would have got the job done because God doesn't need our help. But we try to work through people to get what we want. And we start fighting and warring and working this stuff, and it doesn't work rather than praying. And number four, this is the fourth mark of trying, the fruit, the marks of having to try to do it our way. It is using God as a means to get your way by praying. Now, that's really amazing how created the flesh can be. You start using God as a means to get your way by praying. You ask and receive not, it says in verse 3, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. This involves praying but still not getting your desires because of impure motives. We should never attempt to use God in order to get our way. The goal of this sermon is how to get to God's way, not to my way. And sometimes our prayers are how to get my way, not God's way. So praying in the spirit is far different than praying in the flesh. Praying in the spirit is a process of God divinely lining up our will with his own. Praying in the flesh is attempting to arm twist the almighty in fulfilling our own desires. And one of the last straws in coming to the end of our own will is when we stop spiritualizing iniquity by trying to get God to do what we want through prayer. We stop spiritualizing iniquity by no longer attempting to pray our own will. And after James lets us see the clear signs or marks of being in the path of self-will, he then shows us the way out of the whole mess. Because we've made a big mess now. You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war. You have not because you ask not. You ask, you ask and miss that you may consume it upon your lust. And then he has to rebuke them and say, this is the way of the world. Christians do not use the methods of the world. It doesn't work. You can't play hardball with softball rules. The two don't go together. There's a different kind of game with the Lord. And it's not a game, by the way, it's a life. But you have to do it the right way. You can't, you can't appropriate worldly ways to God's ways to get in when you're when you're in Christ. So that's the first point is that we have to we taste the fruit. being in reverse. Now we're going to get to neutral. Remember that little illustration I used? Okay, let me get that thing out here. Okay, there is a place for neutral. We do have to disengage. We have to come out of my will. We have to disengage, and this is what he says in verse 6. Neutral is disengaging from self-will and receiving grace. I don't care where you're at right now, if you've been involved in going your own way, at some point, and maybe through this sermon, God is giving a solemn call to disengage from self-will. Disengage from trying to do things your way. get Disengage from doing my way and get out of that. It's not going to work. It's only going to reap more vanity. Neutral is disengaging from self-will and receiving grace. It's as if he says, put your will in neutral, and take this one gift that will no doubt deliver you from the whole mess. And that one gift that works every time is grace. James 4, 6, but it gives more grace. While the will was never intended to stay in neutral, but to be engaged in doing the will of God, when coming out of self-will and all of its dreadful consequence, there's a need to sometimes disengage. There's a need to disengage. And that's a serious place to be if you stay in reverse when God says disengage. When God lets us feel the effects of our own messes, it's a time to disengage from the wrong direction and receive some grace. I can't get this job thing to work out, you say my workplace and here's the way what you're actually saying you add this in your heart you don't say this in your mouth that you say this in your heart i can't get this job thing to work out my way i can't get this marriage thing to work out and we say in our hearts my way i can't get this relationship issue resolved my way that's the whole problem that got you in the mess it's my way i can't get this ministry thing to work out My way. I can't get this parenting thing, grandparenting thing, scheduling thing, singleness thing, not getting married thing to work out my way. Whatever it is, we're going our own way and it reaps vanity. For that matter, we can even say, I can't get the Christian life to work my way. And therein lies the problem. It becomes all about getting my way in all of our pursuits rather than getting God's way. And what a mess we make in reverse. What a mess self-will makes. I think of Paul's words, and it's a question to the Galatian believers when they were going all about it the wrong way because they were doing it their way. Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? In essence, what he's saying In all your going about it your way, have you suffered it all for nothing? And was it all for nothing? Because see, that's the problem. All that you're doing can actually be for nothing if it's only your way. The question, when applied in specific areas of life, this question, that that when when you take this question that Paul asked the Galatians, have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? When you take that question, and you appropriate that question the right way. It can be like a Eureka moment in your in when you're engaged in the wrong way. I mean, you've seen it, you felt it, you know it, it's not working. And that question comes and it's like, Eureka, huh? I've been going my own way. I'm the problem. Eureka, it's me. And all the difference lies in the fact that it's still being done my way versus God's way. Old Major Ian e. Thomas writes about his way of evangelism. It didn't work. <laughs> then he started doing it God's way, his ministry, his evangelism. All started beginning. Paris Reedhead talks about his missions, his way, going there for his purposes, but no, it wasn't for God. God asked him, when you preached, and when you taught, and when you shared, and when you did what you did, was it for me? That's what he asked about their fasting. When you fasted, was it for me? That's the problem. It's always got to go back to his way, and then that resolves everything. This is basic stuff. Even Peter with fishing, going about it his way, versus cast your net on the right side of the ship, and you will find, and did he ever find, 153 fat fish couldn't be pulled into the boat, Okay? His way is so much better. I mean, you got Moses over here. He's going to take out one Egyptian at a time. One Egyptian. That's Moses' way. He thought that by his hand he could deliver them. Well, that's going to take a long time. God can wipe out a whole nation. His way is a lot better than our way. I'm going to go to the third point of this Process, and we're going from A to B to C. We're going to the drive. Now we're going into his will, all right? So you go, it's, 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 it's first he's got to let us feel the effects of reverse, my will. Then he puts a neutral, Receive some grace, confronts you with this issue. Then drive, in order to get ready to go forward. Number three, drive, or C if you want to call it, outline. Drive is moving forward in the will of God. First thing I want to say, and I'm just going to make three points. Be under God from here on out. Be under God. And that's what we're told in James 4, 6. He gives more grace, wherefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives what? Grace to the what? Humble. Humility. Start really operating in humility. Presumption was the basis for going the path of self-will, and if you're going to go to the path of God's will, it's going to require some humility. But also Submission. Be under God through humility, but also be under God with submission. Submit to God, therefore. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Because the devil also gets some ground when you go your own way. You may have to get him off your sleeve. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So the first thing I'd say in the C place, in the drive position, moving forward in the will of God, is be under God. Number two, get right with God. And it's not said in the actual text, but it's definitely implied the Word is the basis for getting right with God. That is, get the Word, the Word, be sanctified. Get right with God. Now, let me, I just, I just passed up one. I'm so sorry. Number one is be under God. Number two, I'm going to even give you another one. This is found in 4.8. Be close to God. If you're going to go forward, don't go forward in independent mode anymore. And that's what we're told in James 4.8. Don't just be under God, be close to God. Draw nigh to God, and He'll draw nigh to you. You start moving toward Him. I mean, that's the beauty of going forward with the Lord. He's right there with you. That's what that's beautiful promise we just found out last time we looked at the Great Commission. I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Now we know he's with us always, but we have to recognize that. But we have to draw nigh. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. You don't stop. You don't, You don't go forward in independent mode, solo mio anymore. You get close to God and you say, oh, Lord, I don't want to be anywhere far from you at all. I want to hear you. I want to feel you. I want to know you're just right there. Draw nigh, and he'll draw nigh to you. So not only be under God, be close to God. And third, that's where I was going to go. Get right with God. The word is implied. Renew your mind with the washing of the water of the word. It cleanses our hands. It purifies our hearts. It cleanses our hands as sinners, and it purifies our hearts as double-minded. And finally, and this is probably about as most important of all, repentance. The basis for really excelling in the will of God is repentance. That's why when he says, be afflicted and mourn and weep, let your laughter be turned in the morning, and your joy to heaviness, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, one word that summarizes all that is Repentance. Repentance. So the basis for Psalm 48, moving to in delight. I delight to do thy will. There's a progress, but there's a process. I'm going to give you some questions in closing. What direction are you really going today, folks? Regarding the progress, regarding the will of God, is the will of God something that you're alive to? If you're not alive to the will of God, chances are you're not saved. You may be lost if you don't have any, just dead altogether, the will of God. Has the will of God become a drudgery to you? If so, you may be in a backsliding condition. You don't like it because you're not going the right way. It's hard to kick against the goads. It's a backsliding going on, and that's when we got to put on the religious garb so well. Is the will of God a discipline? Okay, if it is, it's not a bad thing. Just keep going. Is the will of God a devotion? Don't just stop there. Remain in Christ. Stay in the Word. Is the will of God a delight? That's a good question to ask yourself. Is the will of God a delight? Now let me give you some closing questions on the process regarding the will of God. Have you been trying to get your own way through selfishness? And then after it didn't work, have you stopped doing your own will or only are you are or, or are you only trying but harder and then have you gotten into the bonds of looking to others or working through others to get your own way or now let's get into the fake spiritual stuff have you even been praying to still have your own way? And if you've answered yes to any of these questions, it's time to take the will out of gear towards self, receive more grace, because he's giving you an opportunity move into the will of God. Are you willing to get back under God? Are you willing to draw near to God? Are you willing to get right with God? So today we're talking about how to not get our own way. We know that all too well. It's never accomplished much good. It's never accomplished anything good. I'm talking about how to get God's way. And I hope when we leave here today that we're not engaged in our own will anymore. We leave out of here engaged in the will of God. I delight to do your will. Your law is within my heart. Father, I pray that this day we could be a people that are truly, genuinely right with you, close to you. People that are completely, uh, we're told in Psalm 119, those people that do no iniquity, they keep your commandments. They delight in your ways. Not in our own ways. We want to delight in you. Help us to stop going our own way if we've done so may your grace break us down and show us these areas of iniquity that we would be a people that would not be about our own will anymore, that we could say with the Lord Jesus Christ, I delight to do your will because your law is within my heart. And I pray these things in your holy name. Amen.